Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Guys, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. South Valley is a singing church, and I love it. I love it. Thank you, John. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. My name is Ricky Hemme. Great to be with you guys again today. You're joining us this morning. We're in a series on prayer titled, What Would Jesus Pray? Today is actually week six of this series, so we've been spending some time on this topic going deeper and deeper each week. We only have one more to go, so next week is the final sermon of this series, and in that sermon, we're actually going to explore Jesus's prayers from the cross. So really important stuff there. But today we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit because today we're going to talk about Jesus's prayers for us. Jesus's prayers for the family of God. And just as a reminder, the purpose of this series has been very simple. The purpose is this. We want to explore Jesus's prayer life so that we could strengthen our own prayer lives. That's the purpose. We want to see how Jesus prayed We want to learn about what Jesus had to to say about the topic of prayer and find ways to apply it to our own lives. Because some of us, some of you, maybe you feel disconnected from God or maybe you feel far from God. I want you, I hope you're hearing week after week, God wants to hear from you. God loves you. He wants to embrace you. He cares about the things going on in your world. The big things, the small things, whatever they are, he actually cares, genuinely cares. And he invites you to bring those things to him in prayer. And prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. We've been reminded in this series that there aren't any victories in the Christian life without prayer. John Wesley said, we've said it over and over, God does nothing but in response to prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Isn't that interesting? I'd rather teach one person how to pray than 10 people how to preach. Why? Because prayer changes everything. In the past five weeks, we've already seen God move in incredible ways. We've seen people reconnect with God through prayer. I've talked to a number of you who are reconnecting with God through prayer, praying regularly for the first time. Some of you started journaling your prayers for the first time, spending regular time with God, putting your thoughts, your your worries, your stresses, your joys, putting it on paper, talking to him. Some of you fasted for the first time. When we fasted on 9-11, even some teenagers in our church fasted for the first time. Can we give it up to the Lord for that? That's That's pretty awesome. And each week through this series, we've been going deeper and deeper into this topic. And as we've done it, I just want to share with you some cool stories. We've already seen some amazing breakthroughs. As I've talked with you, as I've prayed with you, people on staff have prayed with you. We have a men's group that prays. We have some women praying. We have a prayer chain. People are praying. And as we've been praying, we've already in this short time seen some amazing breakthroughs. I talked to a woman last week who we were praying for. She was in the hospital and and really just challenging circumstances. We were praying for her, not just me, everybody, a bunch of people in this prayer chain. Uh, The church actually kind of got behind her, got her some groceries and stuff as well while she was in the hospital. She got to the hospital, she got better, and she came to church last Sunday and she said, I learned through this situation that I need God. 
I need more God in my life, and I want to thank you for your prayers and thank you for this victory. Maybe you've seen a physical victory of some kind. Your, your mental health is kind of changing. Your anxiety is maybe decreasing a little bit here and there. You're, you're sensing that God is in control, that you don't have to carry all the worries of the world on your shoulders. You can actually, you can actually release those things to the Lord. And you're, you're feeling that, that lightness as you're talking to God in prayer. Some of you had spiritual breakthroughs. Maybe you decided to, to sign up for Rooted. I know uh, Marcus and the team, they got like 15 new people signed up for Rooted at the last minute. So that's pretty exciting. People are saying, I want to invest in my life, in my spiritual walk with the Lord. Some people decided to get baptized. I even talked to a guy who recently, just a couple weeks ago, gave his life to Jesus for the first time. So I'm sharing this with you. I'm sharing this with you because I want you to see prayer changes everything. Last week, we were invited by Jesus to pray bold, audacious prayers. To keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. To push and to push until we get an answer from God. Well, today we're going to switch gears a bit and we're going to talk about family prayers. Jesus' prayers for the family of God. And in light of this topic this morning, I thought I'd take just a quick minute to give you guys a little bit of an update about what's happening in our church family. So calling just really quickly a short little family meeting. Okay, and the reason I'm doing this is because in my family, I like to be in the know. Do you guys like to be in the know? Okay, you don't want to just find out something secondhand or you don't, you don't want to feel like you're out of the loop. I want to keep you guys in the loop. I'm committed to keeping you guys in the loop. So three things I want to update you on for our family, South Valley Community Church. The first is this. We mentioned that with the youth ministry, we're going to do three phases. Launch in houses, work on the chapel, do fifth, fifth quarter, and then launch ministry in the chapel. Well, last week we started the first phase of youth ministry, they met in homes, okay? We were praying for that. Jonathan and Rigo, they were working behind the scenes, hoping to have students. We didn't know what to expect, but we figured, hey, we might have a little bit of a window, get students started, get to know students, get to know parents, and then we'll work on the chapel and then get them in the chapel. But something crazy happened on Wednesday because Wednesday night looked like this. They had... They had over 50 students show up on Wednesday night. Okay, so when we saw that happen, we're like, man, we need to start working on the chapel yesterday, okay? So on Monday, we are going to begin working on the chapel. So Monday morning, we have a crew. Tomorrow morning, we have a crew coming. They're going to start working on our chapel. They're going to do some paint in our chapel, rebuild the stage in our chapel. We're going to update some technology. We have some outdated technology and lights and things like that. We're going to update that. It's still a multi-purpose room, but we want to get working on it and get the youth in there October 20th. So I didn't want you guys to be surprised by that. We're very excited for it. The other thing, as we've been doing this, We've been realizing there are some other areas on campus that, we, that maybe we should give a, give a little attention to it. One is our internet. Have you guys noticed that we are struggling with our streaming? Okay, I'm, we're tired of saying, sorry about our streaming. Sorry about our streaming. Sorry. So we're working, we, we shut down the live stream for two weeks so that we can get our internet figured out. So we have a, someone come in. They're going to help us. They're going to hardwire internet to this building. So we got that. We also have a crack in the back of the sanctuary. Please don't trip on it. It's there. There's a little red piece of tape. We got to get that fixed. We're also going to work on our lobby. Okay, so it's been a while since we've updated our lobby. So we're going to get some bids on how to just update our lobby, freshen it up, and maybe put some uh, shade 
for people in the breezeway as they're walking in, checking in their kids, and some market lights on campus so that it's brighter at nighttime when we have students coming. So these are, these are dreams, okay? These are some of our dreams. I want to loop you in on some of those things just in case you're interested in helping us pull some of these things off. These are some of our dreams. So we're also going to be looking at increased ministry at South Valley. So a few weeks ago, Jonathan and Rigo, they got over onto Lemoore High School's campus, all right? So we're starting to, to bridge that gap, get to know the students. I'm also meeting with some of you guys to talk about men's ministry, all right? So tomorrow I'm going with some guys to check out an event. I've been meeting with you guys uh, one-on-one, talking about men's ministry. I just want you guys to know we have a lot in the works, so pray for the family. Keep praying for the family, praying for the family. We need your help. We need your prayers. God's moving. We're excited. Are you guys excited? Okay, that's the family meeting. Let's pray and jump into our passage. God, we come before you as one family. We are children of the King. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. You saved us, and then you sent us back out into the world for a purpose. Jesus, you could have raptured us in the moment, You could have brought us up into heaven immediately upon salvation, but you left us here for a reason. We are here in this community, in this valley, for a reason. God, bless our work here, we pray. Bless the ministry on this campus. Meet the needs of this campus. Not just so that we can have a cool campus, but so that we can be a welcoming campus, so we can have space for ministry on the campus. And I pray that we don't just do ministry here, but that we do it out there, that we do it at the schools, that we do it in the community, that we're investing in ministry around the world. We need you. Bless this family. Hear our prayers. And thank you, Jesus, for praying for us. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. We are in John 17. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John 17. Now, our passage today is the longest passage we've explored so far, and it has been, without a doubt, the most challenging sermon I've had to write. Okay, we're looking at 26 verses is this prayer from Jesus. 26 verses. And I want to just warn you before we read this, we are approaching holy ground this morning. You see, we read in the Gospels that Jesus frequently went away, retreated for long extended hours of prayer. He would often pray through the entire night. We see that over and over in the Gospels. But we don't always get a picture of what he was actually saying in those prayers. We just know that he would get away. He'd talk to God. Sometimes the disciples would hear. We assume here Jesus prays out loud. Jesus praying out loud. The disciples heard some of it, but they didn't hear all of it. But in John 17, they heard Jesus' prayer. We get a glimpse into the, the communion that exists between the Father and the Son. We get a wonderful picture. We get to peek behind the curtain into the throne room of God. We get 26 verses of Jesus praying, 632 words. It is a long prayer, and it's a beautiful one. And it's said shortly before Jesus goes to the cross. This is an important prayer. This is not just one of those prayers you lob up in the air. This is an important prayer, and we are going to explore some of it today. So it's broken into three sections. First, Jesus prays for himself. Second, Jesus prays for his family. Third, Jesus prays for future disciples. We're going to look at that second section, John 17, starting in verse 6. This is what it says. It says that Jesus, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father... 
I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom, you gave, whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, that they may have joy, that, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That's our passage today. It's a lot to pa- that's a lot to cover, okay? A lot to cover. Jesus has a lot to say in this prayer. What's interesting is this. Although our sermon series is titled, What Would Jesus Pray? Up to this point, we actually haven't explored Jesus' prayers. We've only talked about Jesus' teachings on prayer. Okay, we even looked at uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is often called the Lord's Prayer. But what's interesting, what we learned, is that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually isn't praying in that passage. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. It's a teaching. And so with that in mind, uh, commentators, scholars, pastors, when they talk about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, etc., they actually call that the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. Because that is a prayer for the disciples, to learn how to pray like Jesus, a pattern for prayer, things to cover in our prayer lives. The real Lord's Prayer, the true Lord's Prayer, is John 17. John 17 is the true Lord's Prayer. Because in John 17, we get a peek behind the curtain into the face-to-face communion, loving communion that exists between the Father and the Son. And when Jesus talks to his Father... This is what we see. Five verses in that prayer, he's praying for himself. Five verses. 21 verses in that prayer, guess who he's praying for? You. For us. One thing I want to remind you of today is that we worship a God and Savior who prays frequently, often, passionately for us. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for me. Believe it or not, Jesus, even now, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, he is praying for you. Hebrews 7.25 says that he lives to make intercession for the saints. And so the picture here is, is this. We don't actually have to pray to a saint for our prayers to get to God. 
Okay, we don't pray to some earthly person or somebody who, 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 who died long ago. We don't have to go visit holy sites for our prayers to be heard by God. All we have to do is pray to the person, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Savior of the world. He is the one who makes inter- He is our mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. When we pray in Jesus' name, our prayers go before the Father. But here's the other thing. Whatever we don't pray... Jesus prays for us. Whatever we forget to mention, Jesus prays for. Whatever we don't realize we need, Jesus prays for. You see, Jesus knows you better than you know you, better than I know you, better than your spouse knows you. Jesus knows you. He knows what you need. He knows what you love. He, knows, he cares about you. And so as you're praying, you're learning more and more how to pray for yourself, how to pray for your family, how to pray for the world. And whatever you miss, whatever you fail to say, whatever you don't understand, guess what? Jesus is going and praying it for you. Father God, they forgot to pray for this, but God, will you please help them? He prays for you constantly praying for you. And this is no exaggeration. Exaggeration. Look at Romans 8.34. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Interceding for us with prayer. Jesus prays for you. Can I get an amen for that one? Jesus prays for you. He prays for you. He prays for us. He prays for this church. He prays for our family. He prays and prays and prays because he loves you. He loves us. Now, in this passage, we see three ways that Jesus prays for his family. The first is that Jesus prays for truth in the family of God. Jesus prays for truth, capital T, truth. In the family of God. John 17, 8. He says, I've given them the words that you gave me. They received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. My son just started kindergarten. Five years old, you guys saw him last week with the little medals around his neck. By the way, we checked out a, a jiu-jitsu place down the street, Elite Lamore, something jiu-jitsu. Johnny had an awesome time. Thanks for the, the recommendation. So Johnny, he's in kindergarten. He's learning right now already at five years old that, that there's something called absolute truth. Now, he probably wouldn't call it that, but that's what he's learning, okay? There's a right way to spell a word, and there's a wrong way to spell a word. There's a right way to do math. And there's a wrong way to do math. Now, kids do math the weirdest ways now. Have you guys noticed that? When you do homework, like, how did you even do that? Like, you did a whole paragraph just to answer two plus two. But no matter how you do it, there's always one answer. Two plus two is what? Two plus two was four when I was in school. Two plus two was four when my grandpa was in school. Two plus two was four when Abraham Lincoln was in school. Two plus two was four when Jesus was in school. Because two plus two is four, and it's always four. Johnny is learning right now. He's just a little guy, but he's learning that there are right ways to spell things, wrong ways. That, there, that math, there's, there's truth, and, there, and there's also falsehood. And so he's, he's trying to, to remember how to do things the right way. Well, this is a reminder that although times change, truth doesn't. 
Times change, but truth doesn't. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, your word is true. Jesus says, your word is truth. There's a difference. You see, the Bible doesn't just agree with some other standard of truth, making the Bible true. The Bible is the standard of truth. This is truth. It's not just true. It is truth. Now, if you're new with us today, you probably, you, you probably own one of these. Or maybe your parents owned one of these or grandparents. Maybe you have one on, on your bookshelf. It's, maybe it's collected dust. Maybe you have one on your phone. But, but, but you, maybe you rarely crack it open. I want to remind you today what this book even is. Because if you're new with us today, you probably opened it some or maybe you've had questions about it. What exactly is the Bible? Why is this book so special? What makes this book different from every other book on my bookshelf? Why is this book special? Well, Holy Bible means holy book. It's one holy book that contains 66 separate books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It's written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit in Aramaic, over a period of more than a thousand years by more than 40 authors of varying ages and backgrounds who wrote on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Authors of the Bible include kings, it's very diverse, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. The books of the Bible cover history, sermons, letters, songs, love letters. There are geographical surveys, architectural specifications, travel diaries, population stats, family trees. You guys have seen those. You know those really well, right? As soon as the family tree comes, next chapter, I want to encourage you guys, read the family tree. It's there for a reason. Family trees, inventories, numerous legal documents. It covers hundreds of controversial, controversial subjects with amazing unity. Even though it was written over a period of a thousand years by all these different authors, it has one mes message. It doesn't contradict itself. It has one unifying message. And because the Bible is so special, this is just a, a bonus, it's actually the best-selling book of all time. And it's available in over 3,000 languages. And there are still people today all around the globe trying to get this in people's hands in places where they don't have the Bible in their own language. They're working at interpreting, getting the Bible to people because why this is a special book. This is not just like any other book on your bookshelf. This is a very, very special, unique book because this is not a book written by man. This is a book inspired by who? Inspired by God. That's why the Bible is truth. Not just true, but capital T, truth. And what's crazy about the Bible is this. Why I preach out of the Bible is this. Because I believe that you don't need my opinion. I believe that you don't need just to be entertained by someone like, I'm not very entertaining, by the way. I believe 
that change happens when, when the word of God is brought into people's lives and the Holy Spirit illuminates that word in people's hearts, that's where change happens. Change comes through hearing the truth of the word of God and the Holy Spirit inspiring and empowering us to change and live in a way we never could have lived on our own. And so that's why I'm committed every time I preach, we're going to go verse by verse through the Bible. Because it's the word of God, it's truth. But here's the thing, when you hear the Bible, when you read the Bible, Bible, you're not just reading it, God uses it to read you. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. There's no other book on the planet that's alive. This one is. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The prophet Isaiah, when he talks about the Bible, he compares the Bible to rain. And he says, when God's word rains down on you, you grow, you blossom. We need rain out here, right? (laughs) I've been praying for rain with you guys. We need rain. Because when rain falls, things grow, things thrive. Isaiah calls the Bible rain. And it falls down on thirsty hearts. It falls down on thirsty souls. And when it lands, you cannot help but grow, but blossom. South Valley, there's no other book like this book, the Bible. And when Jesus described this book, he used one word. It's the word truth. Your word is truth. Now, here's the big question. If the Bible is truth, capital T, truth, then why do some of us reject it? Why do some of us push it away? Why do some of us run from the truth? Although this answer is complex, at the center, what we typically see when it comes to this area of truth is a desire for us to to create our own truth. Instead of embracing God's truth at the center, when we deny God's truth, the reason we're typically denying God's truth is because we want to create our own version of truth. And this actually harkens back all the way to the garden. You might remember our first parents, Adam and and Eve. They're in the garden. They can eat everything, but there's one tree they can't eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They go before that tree, Satan tempts them, deceives them, and he says, hey, if you eat this, you're going to be like God, knowing good from evil. You know what that's basically saying? You're going to be like God. You're going to be your own God, defining your own truth. You're going to get to determine for yourself what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false. And so they ate of the tree, and what they realized in that moment is what they thought would be best for them actually led to death and decay and destruction. And you and I were still picking up the pieces today in this fallen world because they rejected God's truth. Well, God's truth, I want you to know, God's truth isn't here to constrain you. God's truth isn't here to oppress you. God's truth isn't here to hurt you. God's truth is here to free you. God's truth actually points to the most vibrant lifestyle, the most joyful lifestyle, the best lifestyle, a life walking with 
God. God's truth is not meant to hurt you. It's meant to help you. Now, have any of you guys ever been to Pastor Frank's office? You guys ever been there before? Or maybe you saw it online. Pastor Frank, if you go into his office, he has all of these. Uh, it's, it's all like dedicated to sailing, okay? He has these old ships on the wall. He has nautical charts on the wall. He has nets. He has all kinds of stuff. It's all, he has a big wheel on the wall, and you, and you got to like peek in through this little hole like you're under the water to even look into his office, okay? That's Pastor Frank's office. He loves sailing. He loves sailing. I don't know if he's ever done it, but he loves it, okay? He loves sailing. Love you, Frank. I do love you and your office. Now, imagine this. You know, if you've ever been on a boat, a good sea captain, a good sea captain, they know the waters well. There, there are charts, there are nautical maps that, that point you to the safest route, the best route in the water. Now, what if a sea captain one day just said, you know what, I don't care about those maps and those charts. I know that the map and the chart says that there are rocks ahead but honestly, I'm just going to just do, I'm going to do me and you can just do you. I have my truth. You have your truth. Just let me be. What's going to happen to this sea captain if he believes like that? What's going to happen to him? He's going to crash the ship onto the rocks. You see, God's truth is here to help you avoid colliding with the rocks. We can choose to reject his truth but there are actually consequences associated with rejecting his truth. Because the, the, when we reject God's truth, it actually leads us down a lifestyle, down a path that actually hurts us instead of freeing us. The captain may have thought that, hey, these charts are too constricting. These charts are too laborious. I don't want to worry about these charts. But what he didn't realize is that those charts were there to help him so that he can be free, so that he can be safe, so that he can succeed. God's word is here to help you be free. And so Jesus, when he's praying for his church, he's praying that his church would abide in the word of God, that his church would love truth because God's truth is the path to freedom. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you abide in my word, John 8, 31, you are truly my disciples. Disciples of Jesus abide in God's word. Doesn't mean it's always easy. Doesn't mean we don't have times where we wrestle with God. Doesn't mean we don't have times where we disobey God. Okay, this is a process. This is a journey. But disciples, at the end of the day, they're committed to the truth of God. And he says this, you'll know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. You guys see that? Jesus' truth doesn't hurt you. It helps you. It doesn't constrain you. It sets you free. Tim Keller says that, that true freedom is the presence of the right restrictions. Think of a fish. If a fish is swimming around in the water and then maybe one day he says, you know what? I'm so tired of this water. I really want to go live up on the land. This water is so restricting. I need to get out of here. This isn't for me. You do you. Let me do me. And he jumps out of the water, lands on the land. What's going to happen to that fish? Is he free anymore? No. He thought that freedom was over there, but freedom was actually in the water. Don't think freedom's over there. Freedom is right here, my friends. Freedom is right here. This is where freedom is. Now, now, that being said, this is not always easy. But what I want you to hear today is this. God's design for you is always good. Just as God designed fish to live and thrive in the water, God has a good design for you. And when you live in that and walk in that, it's good, it's pleasing, it's joyful. You have God's blessing, you have God's hope, you have God's peace. 
It is for your good. There are going to be times that you push up against it. There are going to be times that you struggle with truth. But at the end of the day, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your gut or are you going to listen to God? Jesus' prayer is that his family would be marked by truth. By truth. And some of you, you may have been suspicious of God's word. Maybe even this morning, you're suspicious of God's word. You think that maybe God's word has some ulterior motive to oppress you or to constrain you or to hurt you or it's too old, too old school. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't speak truth today. It was true back then, but maybe not today. I want you to know God's word is for your good. And Jesus doesn't just say, believe in me. You know what else he does? He gives up his freedom so you could be free. You see, if you've ever wondered if God really loves you, maybe you've read the Bible and you wonder like, man, is God really worthy of my love, worthy of my trust, worthy of me changing my direction, repenting of sin, following after him? Is he really worthy of it? Does he actually care? Okay, you don't worship a God who's just up in the sky telling you what to do, angry with you if you don't do it, just angry all the time with his arms crossed, like what's wrong with you? You worship a God who saw you struggling, saw you in sin, saw you rejecting his truth. And you know what he said? I'm going to be born of a virgin. I'm going to come into this world in a manger. I'm going to grow up as a peasant. I'm going to leave my throne, all the riches, all the glory, all the attention, everything, and I'm going to enter into the world of those who I love, even though it's hard and it's painful, and I'm going to be in this weak flesh that decays and hurts, and, and I'm going to be hated by others, and I'm going to be mocked and despised, but you know what? I'm going to give up my freedom so that they could be free in me. Church, I want you to know, Jesus doesn't just make demands of you. And just say, hey, go do it because I said. Jesus said, I love you and I'm going to show you the way. And I'm going to endure what you do endure and show you that it could be done. And I'm going to persevere and show you it can be done. And I'm going to fill all the holes that you can't fill on your own in your flesh. I'm going to be your righteousness. I'm going to be your hope. I'm going to enter into your world. I'm going to help you do this thing. It's not just you. It's us. And so Jesus prays. For truth in the church. South Valley, I want you to know, when it comes to truth in the church, the Bible will be our compass at South Valley because the Bible is the word of God. And that being said, even though this is truth, I'm not going to hit somebody with this thing. I'm not going to hurt somebody with this thing. You see, Jesus had lots of enemies. Jesus had lots of people who rejected his truth. But you know what he still did? He still prayed for them. You know what he still did? He still loved them. You know what he still did? He still knocked on their doors, went in their houses, ate food at their dinner tables. So when we say that the word is truth, I don't want you to hear that we stand on the truth, everybody's wrong, forget them, it's all about us. No, we're going to bring the truth to people. We're not going to hit them over the head with it. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to encourage people to know the truth and let God do the rest. And so I want to encourage you guys, be kind and loving with the truth because Jesus was as well. We don't reject truth, but we bring it the way we deliver it matters. The second way that Jesus prays for his family is he prays for unity in the family of God. Listen to what he says. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
John 17, 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So the second way that Jesus prays for the family is for unity. This last Thursday, I had uh, the privilege of hanging out with this cool group of guys on the screen here. So these are some local pastors. That's Pastor David from First Pres Lamore, just across the street. That's uh, Pastor Andrew from Koinonia. And that's Pastor Peter from uh, First Baptist Hanford. So we got lunch on Thursday. Why would the three of us get lunch together? Aren't we like in competition with each other or something? Like, aren't we supposed to be, like, at war? Like, let's turn the Veterans Park into a church war ground, all right? Let's get out. Aren't we supposed? No. We hang out together because guess what? Jesus has one team. Jesus has one family. And so we get together because we actually feel that we belong to one capital C church. Okay, oneness in the church is incredibly important to God. Why? Because God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. And one way that Christianity is different from every other religion on the planet is that we worship a triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity. And within the Godhead exists the perfect blend of unity and diversity. And so when we think about the church, the capital C church, there is both unity and diversity. One church, but lots of different expressions of that church. Koinonia looks very different from us. Glad Tidings looks very different from us. First Pres looks very, very different from us. Okay, I went to, I've learned from Presbyterians too in the past. It looks very different from us. So these local expressions of the church are good. God delights in local expressions that are diverse, different. That's why God doesn't actually give you an encyclopedia about, hey, this is how the church should look. He gives a lot of freedom in how we do church. But at the end of the day, this is what he wants. Number one, he wants the church to be about the capital C church. And number two, he wants every believer to be involved and, in, and integrated into one form of the local church. The local church. You think about local churches like the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, church in Philippi, people investing, committing to the local church. And what I want you to see here, what Jesus is trying to call us to is unity because thriving congregations are united congregations. Thriving congregations are united congregations. Jesus says a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so at South Valley, we must be fully committed to maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we are a family. And when people come, we're inviting them into the family. And if there are factions in the family, if there's lack of peace in the family, if there's gossiping in the family, people will feel it. Have you ever had friends over in the middle of a family fight? Awkward. So awkward. People can feel it when the family is not acting as one. And so this is a call from Jesus to be peacemakers, to act as one. You, get a pro you have a problem with a family member, you know what you do? You call them up, you work it out. You hear gossip, you know what you do? You shut it down and you encourage that person to talk to that person directly. 
Because the the unity of the church matters to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he calls all of us from all our different perspective, diversity in in culture, diversity ethnicity-wise, we are all one in Jesus Christ. We are one. We have one thing uniting us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he calls us to mimic that oneness in our lives by being peacemakers and fighting for unity. That's the second way Jesus prays for the church family of God. And the final way is this. Jesus prays for ministry in the family of God. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Have you guys ever wondered this? If if we're part of Jesus's family, then why didn't Jesus just bring us home the moment we were saved? Like, I would have, I would have loved to, to skip 2020. And I would love, I, 2021 isn't a lot better. Okay, why didn't Jesus just pick us up, take us to heaven the moment we believed? You know why? Jesus left you here for ministry. You are saved. You are redeemed for a purpose. The word of God says that, that we've been saved so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus left you here for a reason. And he didn't just save you and say, all right, now, now go hide out. Don't talk to anyone bad. Don't, don't be around anything that's, anyone that's dirty. Just, just hide it out and I'll come get you later on. Sometime. Like a thief in the night. He doesn't say that. He saves you, he sanctifies you, and guess what he does next? He sends you. You are saved for the sake of ministry. You're not just saved so that you know God, that's part of it. But in the meantime, there are people around you who don't know God. And you are Jesus' plan A for reaching those people. And guess what? Jesus has no plan B. You're it. The church is it. He has entrusted to us his ministry. Jesus modeled that ministry for us. He came into the world. He loved people. He shared hope with people. He reached them with the gospel even when it was hard. And then he he left. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. And he said, I send this to you. And now I'm sending you out as my witnesses in all the world. He said, you're going to go make disciples of all the nations. It's not just about coming and huddling. It's also about going and impacting. And so Jesus prays for ministry in the church that we would reach the world just as he left his throne to enter this world and reach our world. So he's encouraging us to sometimes leave our house, walk over to the neighbors and knock on the door. Leave our cubicle, go walk over with a pumpkin spice latte. That's an easy way to break the ice, okay? And talk to your friend at work. Leave your little clique at school. Not just leave them behind, but sometimes leave them behind. Walk across the square. Talk to that kid who needs it. He has left you here, me here, for ministry. And one day when we stand before his throne and we give an account for our lives, it's not going to just be, hey, were you saved? But it's going to be this. What did you do after you were saved? What did you do with your salvation? 
How did you invest your time, your treasure, your talents into the kingdom of God, reaching as many people as you possibly can, storming the gates of hell, trusting that the gospel is greater than any battle we might face in this world? The church, when the church becomes complacent, the church gets mushy and soft. When the church rejects the mission, she becomes ineffective. And eventually, the church that rejects the mission, it goes like this, it plateaus, it declines, and at some point it declines so fast that it can't be turned around, and local expressions of the church end up dying because people reject the mission. And so I want to encourage you, get involved in ministry. I'm going to close with this story, the story of the codfish. I ate last night at Fish Gaucho. Have you guys ever been there before? It's in Paso Robles, pretty good place. They were serving codfish, and I learned this cool story. So in the early 1900s, codfish, they were in huge demand on the East Coast. And people were so interested in getting codfish because they were so good that, that people on the East Coast were eating it up, and then people on the West Coast started wanting codfish. So they were trying to figure out, how do we get these codfish, transfer them all the way across the United States, and make sure they're still fresh when they end up on the East Coast? So the first thing that they did was they decided to freeze the codfish. They freeze the codfish, package it up, send it across. It gets to the West Coast. People bite it, and they're like, why is this? What's, the, what's so amazing about this? It's mushy. It's mushy. It's not flaky. It's, it's gross. So they realized, you know what? We need to change our shipping methods. Okay, they were using train. They were using railroad to get it across. So they decided, you know what? We're going to turn one of the railroad cars into an aquarium. So they decided to ship the codfish live. So the codfish are going live all the way across the United States to the West Coast, and they look a little bit better. They look a little healthier. They assume that when they get there, they're going to taste better. But when the fish come and they, they prepare the fish, instead of being mushy, now the fish are kind of flabby. They've lost their firmness. And so one guy was studying the codfish. And what he realized about the codfish is every time he saw a codfish, there was also catfish nearby because catfish were the arch enemies of codfish. And the catfish were always in codfish territory. And so what they decided to do is put the codfish in this aquarium and also put some catfish at the bottom of the aquarium. So the whole journey from the east coast to the west coast, these catfish are chasing around these codfish. And when these codfish finally get to the west coast and they're pulled out of the tank and they're prepared for food, they were firm, they were flaky, they were delicious. Because the, the catfish kept the codfish sharp. They kept the codfish firm. They kept the codfish strong. Sometimes you need to be in the world because the world is going to keep you sharp. The world is going to keep you on your toes. Sometimes getting some pushback, getting chased around a little bit, having some battles is actually good for you because it keeps you from getting flabby as a Christian. It keeps you from becoming mushy as a Christian. When the Bible describes Christians, it uses inspiring terms like Olympic athletes and farmers and, and, and soldiers. Those people are not flabby. Amen, farmers? And soldiers. We got soldiers here. Amen, soldiers? You guys work hard to be a soldier. You work hard to be a farmer. The Bible doesn't call say that Christians are couch potatoes or keyboard warriors. The Bible calls Christians soldiers, farmers, 
athletes because we're out there in the world. We're working hard. We're staying fit. We're not just isolating ourselves. We are engaged in the mission of God. South Valley, I want to encourage you, stay engaged in the mission of God. Stay engaged in the mission of God. Jesus prays for the family of God. He prays for truth in the family of God, unity in the family of God, ministry in the family of God. Pray that for us. Please pray that for us. And as you think about your own family, your own context, your own home, I encourage you to pray those things over your own home. Pray for unity in your home. Pray for truth in your home. Pray for ministry, that your home is a place of ministry. And watch what God does when we pray Jesus' prayer for us. When we pray Jesus' prayer, the world opens up, lives are changed, and will never be the same again. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I thank you for this reminder of prayer. I know this was a long passage, and we barely even skimmed the surface. But I pray, God, that we would learn and hear and respond. That if we're rejecting your truth in some area, that we would have that humility to actually hear you and trust you. That if we're breaking the unity of the church in some area, that we would have the, the love to actually forgive and to make peace. And that if for some reason we've taken a backseat with ministry, that we would jump in and see you work and see you change. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, have an amazing Sunday. Marcus and I are up front. If you'd like some prayer, we'd love to connect with you. God bless, and we will see you next week.